budgeting, cash flow, and investing don't have to be scary words. The We Talk Sense podcast is here to help you learn more about money and take control of your personal finances. The We Talk Sense podcast is not a financial advisor. This podcast is made for entertainment and educational purposes only. All information shared is of a general nature and does not take into account your personal situation. You should consider whether the information is appropriate for your needs and where appropriate, seek professional advice from a financial advisor. For more information, please check out wemoney.com.au slash disclaimer. G'day and welcome to your very first installment of We Talk Sense, previously named Money Bites. Yes, you heard that right. We've had a name change. As always, you're joined by me, Blaze, your resident shopaholic. And me, Dan, your resident finance expert. Now, let's talk about the name change. So when we created the show, we got super excited and loved the name Money Bites, which came up in a meeting. And we make sure a podcast didn't exist in Australia with the same name. However, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves and didn't research fully enough to see that there was another Aussie blog out there with the same name. We do apologise to the owner of Money Bites uh, for getting ahead of our skis, and we've renamed the podcast now to We Talk Sense, which is a double entendre on money and also making sense of your money. That's right. We thought it was pretty clever, so we hope that you continue to join us right here, wherever you find us on your podcast listening device, (laughs) and we will, from here on in, be bringing you all the news and information about money under the name We Talk Sense. Now that you know our brand new shiny name, Dan, what have we got on the show today? Blaze, we're going to be covering off saving money by house-sitting as a side hustle and also budgeting for Christmas. All right, let's get into it. Dan, what would you say your biggest expense is or the biggest expense for Australians? Blaze, I think this one's going to be quite obvious. I would say that about 50% of my outgoings to, goes towards paying off my mortgage. And I think that's probably... McDonald's? <laughs> I thought you were going to say McDonald's, Dan. <laughs> Blaze, rewind the clock 10 years ago and it was just Maccas and Booze. That was uh, that was the extent of my, my budget. But uh, things have changed now. I've got a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser. Some would argue nothing's changed. How about you? Yeah, definitely McDonald's as well. McDonald's and booze. No. <laughs> Accommodation is definitely my biggest expense. And according to the ABS, it's that's it's this it's the same for all Australians. The single bis- biggest expense for Aussies is housing or accommodation. Which is why this week our guest, our special guest, has joined us to talk to us about just that. So our next guest is an avid travel blogger, house sitter and life experiencer. Reformed accountant, she has over a decade of experience working in personal finance in the UK before she moved to Australia. And when she moved to Australia, she saved herself over $30,000 in expenses by not paying for accommodation because she travelled around house sitting. It's not the typical way to save money, but here to tell us all about it, is Lisa Bull. Lisa joins us now via Zoom. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. How are you? Hi, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, Lisa. Lisa, how did you start out on the journey of house-sitting? Tell us, how did you start out on the journey? Well, I moved to Australia in 2015 and I started off in Perth and I spent five months living there and I was planning to do a big road trip across the south coast and I was in I was in hostels at first with all the backpackers and then a share apartment 
and my friend was about to move back to Ireland and I would have been left on my own with these two middle-aged men who'd started walking around in their underwear a lot. So I was basically like <laughs> desperately looking for a new form of accommodation. <laughs> and I don't even know, I can't remember how I'd heard about House City, but I just, um, I just Googled it and then came across quite a few websites in Australia where you just, you pay a annual subscription fee, uh, set up a profile and then you can apply for adverts. So pretty much as soon as I joined, I got two house sitting jobs in Rockingham near Perth. And then, yeah, so just lived in people's houses, looking after their pets while they were on holiday. And then I think I had about two months worth while I was traveling. So it, yeah, once I started, it was a lot better than staying in hostels. So you have two older men walking around in their underwear yeah. to think of pushing you into Definitely. the house. It was a life or death situation. So <laughs> it changed my life. <laughs> Now, what did you do for, we touched on it a little bit in the intro, but what did you do for work before you came to Australia? So I worked for a mortgage lender before I came to Australia. Um, so I did maths at uni and then had no idea what I wanted to do, kind of stumbled into a finance job and just ended up working, yeah, for one company for 10 years and then ended up getting residency here So I'd always wanted to move here. Uh, knew I didn't want to carry on with the corporate job when I moved over here. So I was trying to look for a way to sort of travel and like take time out that wouldn't cost loads of money. And then I, when I came across house sitting, I did that. So I did my big road trip, basically camping and then house sitting in the cities. And then when I got to Sydney, it was just so in demand that I found I could do it full time. So I just didn't pay rent for three and a half years and just solidly house sat <laughs> that whole time in Sydney. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Lisa, <laughs> so you've gone from uh, this corporate job in the UK mm. to house sitting here in Australia. How was that experience like coming to another country? I assume you probably didn't know too many people. How was that? How did? How were you thinking and feeling at the time when you arrived? And you know, choosing house sitting as a as a way to to get familiar with the country. Yeah. Um. Well, once I'd sort of done all my travelling, I met a lot of backpackers along the way. But then moving to Sydney it was a bit harder because I I was um, by myself. But it was just such a good way to sort of explore the different areas. So I had no idea where I wanted to live in Sydney, but I knew I wanted to stay there. And when I first moved here, I actually thought that I'd want to live in the city. And now after house sitting, that's really the last place that I'd want to live. So now I live in like a beachside area an hour out of the city. But just exploring, I think I lived in 50 different suburbs in Sydney. So like beachside, inland, north, south. Wow. <laughs> I've had like wow. tiny flats, massive mansions. I've been right on the harbour with the bridge kind of outside, just, just everywhere. It was so fascinating. That's crazy, Lisa. There are so many, so many different areas of Sydney. And also Sydney, I mean, is notorious for their absurd rent prices. So to yeah. be able to experience so much of it and not be out of pocket at all is amazing. But I want to know more about the kind of places you were staying in. What is the best place that you've house sat or the worst or one of each? I've got lots of each. <laughs> so the best one, I've had a few good ones. I've had a few real mansions. I think the best one was Mossman, which is a really kind of expensive area in Sydney. And I stayed there like two or three times a year and it was it was owned by architects, so they basically designed everything about the house and it looked out over like a harbour, this big valley, and the sun would set just directly like in front of the balcony. And I had a room with like 
just massive windows and then one of those remote controls for blinds. So oh. I'd wake up in the morning, just hit the remote and come up and then there'd be like sunrise, water. <laughs> and had a you know you've made it when you don't even have to stand up to move your curtains. I know, I know. <laughs> had a steam room, heated pool. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. crazy. I'd have friends for dinner sometimes and they'd just be like, oh, my God. <laughs> believe it they just oh on the worst ones I think one of the worst ones was um an apartment in Melbourne I got a really last minute one so there wasn't time to go and visit the person first which you normally do it was in Southbank and I kind of got the impression it was going to be really plush and I imagine like this this playboy and it's like apartment and got there and it was like this 20 year old young gamer boy like he just he'd never unpacked his stuff he'd never cleaned <laughs> he had an amazing view but it was so dirty like I didn't even take pictures of it it was so repulsive but the, <laughs> there was a towel on the bathroom floor that had actually gone brown like it was it was he'd left all his washing up it, I just oh. it was so revolting <laughs> yeah I've had some gross ones <laughs> no photos you don't want I any wish I'd taken them now at the time I was like I can't even ever think about this again <laughs> it's so disgusting so Lisa, so house sitting for you started as a way to escape these two men in their mm. underwear, and now it clearly it's clearly turned into a bit of a way of life for you. Yeah, yeah. Could you talk us through, like, so house sitting? Yes, you're looking after someone else's house and maybe their pets, but could you talk us through the whole process of house sitting? What people could expect if it's something they want to get into? So it's always to look after pets. So there's lots and lots of websites you can join. So you've got some that are aimed at travellers. So generally you won't get paid for those house sits. You'll just have like the free accommodation. But then you've also got a lot of local ones in Australia, like Mad Paws, that's who I work through. And then you can actually charge for it and set your own rates. But if someone was new, you'd you'd choose a website to join. You'd set up a profile, so you get your photos and you write a profile. So you'd you'd really want to focus on the animals because that's the main the main thing that people are looking for. And then most of them you can apply for jobs. So you can set the locations you're interested in house sitting in, search for jobs, and then you just apply for them. If it's somewhere that you can reach, if you're not traveling somewhere, you'd go and meet the people first. And yeah, and then so you just arrange when it starts, you turn up, they should normally write out instructions for you. So everything that you need to do, the pets, they'll show you where everything is. They might show you the area if you're traveling. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so you just keep in touch with them usually every day, send them pictures of their pets. So it's really just like dog walking, feeding the animals, watering plants, bringing mail in. So nothing, yeah, nothing extreme, but yeah, <laughs> that's what it involves. <laughs> that's amazing, Lisa. And I can yeah. just imagine if you've been to 50 homes, you must have developed quite a reputation as a house sitter. Were you in, were you in hot demand? 50 suburbs and a lot of repeat ones. So I think I've done around 120 actual house sits. Um, oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I know. So, so I loved it for two years and then the final six months I, I, I really wanted to stop and it just I lived out of the suitcase for really long. Were you getting like people referring you to other houses? Like uh how did that how did that all happen for you? Yes, um well you get reviews on the website I'm on. So initially it was very slow. Once I'd got about twenty reviews, I started ranking really well because the site will uh rank you when the house owners search for you. And then I've had a few referrals to people's friends, but mainly it just came through the website and people finding me because I ranked so well up there and because because I got good reviews as well because they'll give you like a star rating out of five. So I was really, it's just that I was always at the top and I was actually, I was turning down a lot by the end because people would try and book me for like their 
all their holidays through the year and I'd already have some booked. And like some people would book all their holidays like around my schedule. People who knew me would use me before. So <laughs> got to the point where people were kind of arranging holidays around me rather than the other way around. So once you've got a reputation and you've got a good client base, it, yeah, you can't stop. <laughs> Lisa, what are some hints and tips for, for people that are looking to create a good profile and uh, how much does the profile count towards getting uh, house-sitting roles or do you think it was just your reviews and reputation that ended up winning in the end? Any hints and tips for the audience? Um, I think it's both really. I think the profile is important. So you really need to focus on how much you love animals because that's more important to most people than the houses. And I remember my first ever house-sit, um, the owner said to me basically they'd only had one other person apply because it's quite far outside of the city. But she said that person just basically talked about that he'd been like a property manager and basically focused on that he'd look after the house, which they weren't that interested in. It's really just the pets. So if you talk about any experience you've had, like if you grew up with pets, if you've looked after other people's pets and just really make, make it clear that you're an animal lover and just that you'll respect the home and you'll leave it tidy and clean. That's, that's really the main things. I'll get, I'd get a police certificate as well. Because that just puts you one step ahead of anyone who hasn't got that on there. The, the people never uh, really ask for it, but it looks good just to say that we've got that and puts their mind at ease. Lisa, let's talk money. Yeah. How much do you know how to charge? And does it change on depending? Does it change depending on the type of pets or the area you're in? Show me the money, Lisa. How do you do okay. it? <laughs> <laughs> so when I started, I really just looked at what the competition was charging, kind of placed myself in there. Uh, and then eventually I did like a big analysis of how many hours it was taking me. And I worked out really, on average, without the animal care, it was taking me about eight hours per house, just in terms of like packing, cleaning, loading the car, traveling to the meet and greet, traveling to the house. So you've got that and then you've got... You normally have up to an hour's work with a dog if you're doing a walk, maybe an hour a day of pet care. Um, so longer houses are more lucrative because you're not moving as often. But I would say the the bare minimum if you're charging would be around $30 a night up to some of the really experienced ones, people who do it um, as their main business are up to $100 a night as a base rate. And then for, you know, for each extra pet, like a dog or cat, you charge maybe $10 or $15 extra per Per pet. But remember that if people are using like kennels, they might be charged fifty dollars per dog, and some people have like two or three dogs, so it's still it still can be a saving for them and a better service than putting them in a kennel. That's quite a lot of money, thirty dollars a night. I mean, it would be great doing it for free if you're a traveler would be awesome because you are saving on the accommodation expenses. Yeah. But making money off it's great. But I assume that obviously making money, you're looking after pets. So there is a lot of risk and potential cost involved. Have you ever found yourself in scenarios where you're having to dash out to the vet in the middle of the night or you've lost an animal and spent days waltzing <laughs> yes. through the bush trying to find a lost ginger cat? <laughs> it's funny you should say that because I haven't prepped you, but I was just thinking before this about a, a really naughty chicken called Gloria that I had once. I didn't have to, I used to visit every day over Christmas and just let them out in the morning, put them away at night and feed them. And this one Gloria, this ginger chicken, she was always, always trouble. And she had a little friend there always together and they would never do what I was trying to get them to do. Oh no, it was New Year's Eve and I, I needed to go out early. So I had to try and put them to bed about half past three. And Gloria just, she wasn't having any of this <laughs> so I was having to like chase them around with the broom to get them in and then I went back the next day and Gloria just Gloria just wasn't there and I had to put them back in and I searched oh, everywhere no. and I had to text the owner and say I'm really sorry but like one's gone missing 
And she's like, oh, don't worry. She's probably just like nesting somewhere in this really overgrown garden. So I, like she could have been anywhere. And I had to go down like the laneway down the back. She was like, do you mind just checking the laneway? So I'm like crouching around in this, like by all the bins and like the rubbish, like, oh, yeah. You know, like plugging and trying to, <laughs> she didn't come out. I had to let myself into the neighbor's garden because they were away. Check, check like under the house, everywhere. Glory wasn't there. I felt terrible. And then the owner came back and she found her up a tree. She just basically decided to go and start like getting broody and nesting and somehow got up a tree. So I'm so glad she was alive. Oh my gosh. Glory um, just sounds like a party animal. She sounds like trouble. she wanted to have a big New Year's Eve. She really did. Like she, she was always Gloria, but didn't, didn't do what I wanted. And I've had, yeah, I've had a lot of vet visits. I've had seven, I think. Um, one was in the middle of the night. I've had two dogs with paralysis sticks. So that was quite serious. One of them hadn't had the preventative medication. And, um, I had to take them to the best, like two in the morning because I'd found them earlier that day and I'd had to like pull these massive ticks out with tweezers. One of them was on mm. It was really bad. And then, um, yeah, so he started basically walking like he's drunk and then looked up and I was like, oh, but this is like near death when they get to that stage. <laughs> I didn't realize how serious it was. So I had to race to the emergency vet at 2 a.m. And he actually ended up getting pneumonia and had to go in intensive care for a few days and he did pull through and oh, he's wow. okay now. Yeah. Um, so thankfully, the, the owners had grown up children in the world, so they kind of took over with him because they've got another dog as well that I was looking after. But yeah, that was that was really touching, guys. The scariest one I've had. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> I can imagine that would be really intimidating, and also just having to break the news to the owner, like, yeah. "Oh, sorry, we've left Gloria. Oh, and sorry, you're. It's two a.m. and your yeah. dog is. Yeah, that's, yeah. I can imagine that'd be. Yeah. Now, Lisa. So you saved about $30,000 in accommodation costs. When you started out, did you see this as more of a money-saving opportunity or did you see it more as a way to see more of the country when you first moved here? It was a bit of both. So initially it was just like a a way of saving money to travel, but I also really, really love animals, but I'd never really thought to work with them. And it it was just such a difference from going to like a corporate job to just waking up with like dogs that are so happy every day. So I really love that aspect of it as well. Um, in terms of sort of exploring Sydney and exploring the country, it was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, the amount, the amount I've saved, it's actually a lot more than that now. Like, that was quite an old blog post that food came from. So I worked out that, um, over three and a half years of house sitting in Sydney and then a couple of months traveling, that's about $44,000 of rent <gasps> that I've saved. <laughs> and then with the pay on top of some of that is like another 20k so that's around 65k kind of better off from the house sitting wow that's incredible yeah and then I kept my house in the UK as well and rented that out so for five years that's been rented out and gone for value as well so yeah it's 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 a good move financially that is absolutely amazing Lisa yeah. think about where we are now in our recording this podcast in November with Christmas only being around the corner how how does house sitting get around this crazy holiday season is it in demand do you need to book in early how, how is christmas time and, and house sitting how does that those two things go together the busiest time of year by far because australians obviously go on holiday because it's the summertime here um so the first christmas i had one in adelaide actually when i was traveling and then when i got to sydney and had my first christmas there i was house sitting on like the unpaid websites at that point and i remember I started applying. People start advertising maybe July time for Christmas sometimes, definitely October, a lot of adverts go on. And I was applying for loads and because there were so many travellers here then, it was really competitive. I think I applied for maybe seven and then I got one 
And then I joined Mad Paws where I get the paid house sits and I ended up getting like all these last minute offers of paid house sits to turn down because I didn't want to let the other person down. I had about seven mm. offers of paid house sits for Christmas. Wow. And then after that, once I got all my reviews and everything, I'd literally start getting the offers in and I'd just wait till I got like a, a nice long four or five week one. And then, yeah, so I could basically pick and choose at Christmas time. And then I also do the visits to feed people's cats at Christmas time as well, because that's really in demand. So I normally have around 15 houses over the, the month of Christmas. So I go <laughs> Christmas day, I normally have like seven or eight different houses to do. So I basically do like a morning and afternoon run, just feeding cats and then make a bit of extra money that way as well. So you become the crazy cat lady at Christmas yes. time. Yeah. Oh, chicken lady with Gloria as well. <laughs> <laughs> Guinea pigs. Guinea pigs, wow. Yeah. Lisa, to finish off, could you provide some tips for anyone that's looking into getting into house sitting themselves? What's a tip for someone starting out? Yeah, I'd say so. it's really important to try and get references. So I try and... Um, I take something on, even if it's not like an ideal house sit. I like look for ones that aren't in city centres or they're not really in premium locations or maybe like really short ones just to try and get some references and reviews on your profile. So that's a really good way to kind of increase it. Yeah, like look for the peak time. So whichever country you're in, if it's a school holidays, that's going to be a busier time. Um, yeah, get your police certificate if that really helps. And just make sure make sure you've got a good profile. Look through other people's profiles as well and see, see what the competition is basically saying and kind of. Just spend a lot of time writing, writing your profile and send a lot of adverts out. I'm sure the police certificate only helps if you've got a clean one. Oh, obviously, yeah. Otherwise, just don't mention it. <laughs> Doctor just something up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lisa, that was absolutely amazing. I think you've inspired a lot of people to look at this source of earning some additional income, but more importantly, saving a ton on rent. And rent being one of Australia's biggest expenses, this is a really creative way that a lot of people can go out there and and find a way to save a lot of money uh, and have a bit of fun. By the sounds of Lisa's experiences, you're not just going to see you know your your your, your ginger cats, but you're going to see some uh, chickens too. So, uh, <laughs> Lisa, it's been an absolute blast. How do people find more about you and 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 tell us uh, about your blog? Yeah, so my blog is uh, dreamingofdownunder.com. Um, it's mostly Australian travel, so it's all about sort of moving here, traveling here, tips for anyone who wants to migrate. Um, so I've written all the road trips I've done, so I've got about half the coastline of Australia, like destination guides and things like that. And, I, and lots of house sitting guides. I've got about 10 different ones so you can read in depth on what work it involves and how to, how to start as a house sitter. Great. And can we find you on Instagram as well, Lisa? Oh, yeah. So that's just at dreamingofdownunder.com. Sorry, not .com. Dreaming of Down Under. <laughs> All right, at Dreaming of Down Under. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. That was really fascinating, learning all about Gloria and the highs and lows of house-sitting. We really appreciate you joining us and I hope you have a very fun Christmas period, hopefully in some beautiful lush houses with steam rooms again. <laughs> thank you. I've got one booked, actually, not steam room, but it is by the beach. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. So, Dan, house-sitting. What do you think of Lisa's points? I thought it was amazing, Blaze. I mean, it just goes to show that if you thought about all the innovative ways that you can make money and save in your expenses and you heard everything under the sun, I think Lisa gave us a really, really good insight on how you could really reduce your rental expenses, have a bit of fun, and uh, you know, also bring a little bit of joy into your life with animals. Uh, I thought that was super, super, super surprising. But... Um, <laughs> 
from a practical perspective, if you are looking to travel and you're looking to maybe you know go to the US or go to the UK or wherever you are in the world, this could be a great option for you to really reduce your expenses, have a little fun along the way. And my word, if you get a chance to you know mine some you know millionaire's mansion, that just sounds oh, yeah. incredible. How about you, Blaze? Yeah, I I would love to sign up. I've done a little bit of house sitting in the past, but I've never house sat somewhere with a steam room or a view of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So I'm feeling a little bit ripped off. Um, yeah, I think it's a great idea, great for saving money, and it's also sort of tacks on to Airbnb's style of live like a local. If you're house sitting somewhere, you really get to experience an area as a local, which is a really, really cool way to see parts of the world. So yeah, I'm all for it. House sitting, especially this time of year, so many people traveling, there'd be plenty of opportunity to take this up as a side hustle if it's something that takes your fancy and suits your skill set. Absolutely. Managing pets and chickens. Dan, it is time to crank out the classics and put Mariah Carey and Michael Bublé back on repeat because as of today, Monday the 16th of November, we are exactly five weeks and four days out from Christmas. Dan, (laughs) how do you feel about Christmas and what do you do to lessen the blow financially? Blaze, I cannot believe it's towards the end of the year right now and it's come up so quick and you can often tell when you head into the shops and they've already got the Christmas Christmas condolorans up and running and all the decorations all up in the shops and it makes you really get into that Christmas spirit. I don't think I could ever get sick of Mariah Carey being on loop, so I'm really looking forward to that playing <laughs> on every single radio station, every single shopping centre. Uh, Christmas is a very, very interesting time. Uh, the amount of spending that occurs during Christmas is elevated, uh, quite obviously, because it's a very festive season, families getting mm-hmm. together, people are travelling around all different locations, but that can obviously put a bit of strain on budgets and especially when we start thinking about some of the more emotional elements of this festive season, we can get overexcited and tend to spend a lot more. So I'm really interested to uncover what we will discuss today around really helping us navigating these interesting uh, next few months uh, of the festive season, but making sure that we come out the other side of it with our back pockets intact and looking at 2021 with optimism. Yeah, nice. Christmas definitely affects your budget and it affects your belly as well. Big belly, big budget this Christmas is my goal. <laughs> well, Blaze, I think I think I, I probably overindulged in the last few Christmases and I'm carrying on the, the belly that I had last year into this year. So uh, my New Year's resolutions is probably going to be something that's uh, weight related. And yeah, I'm excited for it. I love my Christmas hand. <laughs> I love my Christmas croissant. well if you haven't saved up for christmas or tend to find yourself easily in spending mode this time of year we've got a plan to help you rein in your spending and not go too overboard this christmas the trusty old christmas budget should we start with some stats dan christmas spending hit me blaze this is really shocking get this australians wasted 411 million dollars on unwanted gifts in 2018 Probably a lot of iPads and iPods and all sorts of stuff coming out of there. Wow, that's amazing. What do you think? $411 million. I mean, fair enough. We all get a bit of a crap gift every year that you kind of just re-gift onto somebody else. But $411 million worth of dodgy gifts, that's shocking. We need to we need to really understand the people that we're buying gifts for better, I think, or have better taste perhaps. <laughs> oh, I, I think so. I think so, Blaze. 
I'd love to get into some uh, hints and tips on really finding the perfect gift for people during this Christmas period that doesn't affect the back pocket, that is actually meaningful and people will use. Because that 411 million bucks, that's a lot of money that people are spending on things that people don't really care about. Uh, what are the stats do we have, Blaze? Well, I found out that an parent spend an average of $255 on their kids, which is quite a lot. That's a week's rent, depending on where you live. And also, at the start of 2020, before the world <laughs> before the world changed forever, uh, 37% of Aussies started 2020 with a Christmas debt hangover. So that's a third of the nation starting the year in debt due to their Christmas spending, which is a pretty shocking stat. It is, Blaze, and it just makes me really think about a lot of the activity when we're, we're going to the shopping centres and we're ringing out our credit cards. And I think if we were to look at, say, last year or maybe the year before that, you know, buying our pay later, it was a kind of a thing. But right now, it's absolutely huge with over five to six million Australians now having at least one buy now, pay later account. I can just imagine what January is going to look like for a lot of bank balances out there for a lot of people as they are uh, hungover from not only the eggnog, but looking at their bank balances <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that that may not be as healthy as they, they would like. I also think this year, we've also got something else that's heating up, which is really interesting. Uh, Microsoft and Sony are releasing their new PlayStations and Xboxes out to the market. So it'd be interesting to see if that 255 average increases with the console wars that are getting and the you know, young and inspiring teenagers that are looking to um, get their new console and what that will do to the poor mums and dads out there that are going to have to calm down their uh their screaming kids for for these new consoles so uh yeah a lot to a lot to get through today uh what else have we got blows let's take a look at how to set a christmas budget obviously we know budgets are important and for the last few weeks we've been doing a budget breakdown on different styles of budgeting that can work for your personal finances but this week christmas you know it's a couple of weeks away let's look at the steps needed to set solid Christmas budget so that you're not someone starting 2021 with a Christmas debt hangover. So step one, Christmas budget. Write down everything you will be spending money towards this Christmas. Include everything. Include your travel if you need to fly or drive somewhere to visit family. Include your accommodation if you take a Christmas holiday. Um, obviously, presents is a big one. Uh, food and booze that you spend over the Christmas period. Also, think about things like Ubers. So, if you're taking an Uber to your family's house on Christmas Day or wherever it is, think about all these extra expenses that don't normally come into your life or into your budget that are exceptional because they're a Christmas expense. Obviously, as well with presents, there's the gifts themselves and then there's the wrapping, any postage. Say, if you have friends or family that you send gifts to overseas, you're obviously going to have to pay cough up for Australia Post or FedEx or whoever you use. Um, and another one that is often forgotten, but a really big part of this time of year is giving. You know, Christmas is a time of year where a lot of people are feeling very generous and often are looking to donate their time and money to other people. So if you're someone that makes a donation every year, whether it be your gold coin donation at the shops to get your gifts wrapped for you or whether you're giving to charity or giving Christmas hampers or whatever it is, make sure that you're including uh, these gifts and charitable donations in your budget. Dan, step two, what do we do next? 
Okay, Blaze. Well, look, when we're in your budget, the most important thing is to allocate and estimate the spend amounts for each of the categories and go into a bit of detail and really set some money aside that on some of these expenses that end up, you know, costing a lot of money, particularly in the month of December. Now, the first and most obvious place that you touched on, Blaze, is obviously food and booze. These things can get really, really manic when you're in the shopping centers and you're seeing those beautiful anti-pasto plates being prepared by that person in the deli at Woolies and Coles, <laughs> and you've got to say to yourself, mate, I want one of those too. Um, and I think we can often get ahead of ourselves in these sort of times where we just put everything in the trolley, get to the register and realize that we've got a nice fat, you know, $400 shop that we're going through. So before we do that, and you know this, you know this uh, to the to the folks that are listening, is that post-Christmas parties, right, you do your best to store enough food and make the leftovers, but you know you're going to throw out a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't get in on the day and particularly things that you can't really store. So before you get to that point, you should really sort of estimate on if you are going to have family over or, you know, a lot of events, you know, plan realistically on what you think you're going to consume and what your guests are going to consume over this period of time. And that really helps you sort of uncover and uh, spend less money on, say, over-purchasing on things that you know that you're probably going to throw out. So food and booze is the first place to start. The second place to, to look into is your travel and accommodation. So most people are traveling to meet friends and family during this very festive season, and some of your big-ticket expenses like plane trips, plane trips, which probably now during COVID, probably aren't going to be as much as they were, uh, say, last year. But if you are traveling, say, interstate for the borders that are open, there's obviously going to be some fuel costs and some expenses there that you will have to consider from traveling to point A to B. And that's often some of the hidden expenses that we often sort of forget about and say, yeah, no worries, I'm just going to go to the servo and you know fill up two or three times, say from you know, two to three hours of a trip, you know, back and forward, that can obviously add up to quite a lot of money. Blaze, I'm going to have to be very guilty of the next one and Ooh. a lot of you thoughts on this too. What is it? <laughs> For us city folk <laughs> that are traveling and you – especially for people that I would say are sort of pre-families in their 20s and invited to a lot of events and a lot of Christmas drinks, be that with work colleagues or um, former workplaces. I'm feeling a bit targeted right now, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I was in this club and to be quite frank, Blaze, I probably still am. Um, but what happens when you drink, Blaze? You have a lot of fun. Decisions about and you spend you more do. money. Am I on the right path? Am I on the right track here? I think you are. And one of the things that often stings us quite a bit is the Uber and the taxi trip back home. Uh, I think we've all got a, a story to share about a $100 trip at some point in our lives uh, that we've taken, and especially at the point of desperation when you have surge pricing yeah, or a lack of supply of taxis. That really gets you. And what would have been a $20 trip ends up being close to about $100 or even more during a more sort of desperate times. I actually have a hack for this, Dan. Oh, tell me. If you don't want to pay surge pricing or if you can't find a taxi or you can't find an Uber, the only option that is great for your bank balance is to just keep partying. If you don't stop partying, then by the time that the sun comes up, the next day the bus services are running again, you've got a cheaper lift home. It's actually <laughs> it's, it's more fun. And, yeah, you're saving money. So my, my suggestion for anyone that is looking at their phone in the middle of the night, can't get surge price, can't, can't afford the Uber because of surge pricing, just keep going. <laughs> it might be cheaper. You're totally right, Blaze. 
But for those looking to, to plan ahead on, on the night itself, uh, obviously looking to share your expenses with uh, people uh, along the trip and the journey rather than having to go out independently at that night time. I know it's a little bit difficult, but uh, can often lead to a whole bunch of savings, particularly when you've got four or five events uh, planned in the busy month of December. What else have we got, Blaze? Well, the first thing you think of when you think of Christmas budgeting, for me, it's presents. Now, I know presents seems like a really obvious part of your Christmas budget, but if you list out everyone you need to buy a present for and the amounts that you are allocating to each of them, it will actually really, really help you plan for Christmas. So what I would suggest is part of this Christmas budget List them out, write down whoever you're buying presents for, whether it's your partner, your parents, your kids, your friends, colleagues, a secret Santa gift that you may have to do, a six-pack for the bin man, whoever you expect to buy a gift for, write them down and then allocate amounts. And now I understand you might allocate $50 to your partner and end up spending 40 then you can allocate that extra 10 to one of your kids or to your colleagues. You can move the money around. It doesn't have to be a set in stone budget when it comes to presents, but having amounts as guidelines for each of those people will really help you to understand how much money you're spending. And you also might be a little bit shocked when you add it all up as to how much you're spending in total. So definitely writing down everyone you need to buy a gift for and those people that you often forget about. Like we, my family, we give a pack, a six pack to the bin every year. And that's a tradition that I've carried on since, since moving out. And so even little things like that, they're things you should be considering and adding to your Christmas budget. Sounds great, Blaze. I'm going to take some inspiration there. I think the, the poor old bin men that are getting out there and uh, helping us on a very busy day and uh, overflowing bins with all sorts of stuff coming out of them. I think that's the an prawns. absolute. I know. Oh my god. The prawns in summer, the bin man. (laughs) Goodness me. They're the legends. They're the legends of this holiday, I tell (laughs) you. Absolutely. I love that suggestion. What else have we got, Blaze? Like I mentioned earlier, um, it's a giving time of year. So if you make any donations to charity, if you donate under the Christmas trees in the shopping centers or give to any soup kitchens or whatever it is at this time, uh, make sure that you allow and plan for your giving beautiful time of year to give giving all year round is amazing but yeah if you can really plan out your donations that will really help you with your christmas budgeting blaze another thing about donations this is a really really good point and for those people who are thinking about getting another pair of granny socks um that you're probably not going to open for a couple of years time what some recent studies have shown is that the act of giving during this period of time has much more of an intrinsic reward than actually receiving. And if you think about how much people that may not be as fortunate as you are during this uh, you know, very festive period of time, people that you know, may be you know, homeless or not have families to come around to under a Christmas tree, the act of brightening the day of people that are less fortunate can actually be very, very rewarding. For those people who haven't really considered any type of charity donations, you probably heard about the canned vegetables or the canned fruit that you can give away to certain donations. Actively try and find a charity that you can help support to brighten the day of people that are less fortunate. It's actually going to give you a far more of a buzz than helping out another person, but it actually is going to be receiving gifts from other people. And so I'd encourage everybody to think about that this year in helping out those that are less fortunate. And in in return, you're actually doing a lot of good for people that 
I don't have it as great as you do this year. So that's an excellent point, Blaze. Sorry, Dan, can I just jump in here? Because I 100% agree. Giving is, giving, the feeling of giving is awesome. The feeling of giving without any expectation of receiving anything in return is such a magical feeling and it totally makes you feel elated. And also, no one wants to be Dudley Dursley. This isn't Harry Potter. We don't want to be counting our gifts and having a tantrum with the amount that we get. It's, you're right. It's, the joy of giving is what we should really be focusing on this Christmas. And, you know, it's repeated all the time and said many times before, but it's definitely a, a good time of year to be reminded that the joy of giving is something you should really be focusing on rather than get, 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 what, 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 what can I get out of this, you know? I love it, Blaze. What else do we have as far as other expenses? Because there's a few other gotchas, isn't there? There is. So we've covered off the main ones, but Christmas, there's always sneaky extra expenses that you might not ex- be expecting. So maybe you pay someone to come around and mow your lawn to tidy up the backyard before you have guests over. Maybe you get your hair done, your nails done to look your best for Christmas. I know I certainly do. Uh, whatever it is, think about any extra costs that you may incur this season. So if you're needing your umbrella for your patio so people aren't dying in the hot summer sun for an Aussie Christmas, think of all those extra costs that may be incurred that might be a little bit out of the ordinary. All right, Dan, so that's breaking down the costs. So step one, write down everything you'll be spending money on. Step two, allocate estimated spend amounts to each of these costs. What's step three? Step three, Blaze, is to add it all up and tweak where you can. This step is fairly straightforward. Really, it's totaling up all your spend and seeing if that fits your budget. Hopefully, you'll be saving already and preparing for Christmas, so you should be pretty well covered. In this period of time, Blaze, what also happens, especially if you're working for a full-time employer, is you often get a part of your salary or part of your pay actually paid in advance. And a lot of employers do this where they'll give you the last sort of week or last sort of fortnight's pay in advance of Christmas, so you have that additional extra buffer period of time. And that's where people get really unstuck because they use that payday uh, in advance to pay for a lot of expenses. So I think as long as your income is not changing uh, and you haven't uh, perhaps budgeted for the Christmas period in total, note that you've probably got a finite number of of money to spend during this period of time. So I think keeping an eye on that total uh, amount and adding it all up should give you a realistic view about how much you're going to spend. What about you, Blaze? What else are you uh, thinking about here in, in step three? Well, in the past, the way that I've done Christmas, I wouldn't say budgeting, but the way that I've spent money at Christmas is that I wouldn't, I used to not put money aside. And then that way, what I would do is I would use the money, my spare money each week that I wasn't spending on my living expenses. Instead of spending it on myself, going out for nice brunches, buying ridiculous amounts of clothes that I don't need or don't wear, um, instead of spending that money on me, I would allocate my fun spending money on gifts. And that way I wouldn't overspend and I would be cutting back and then using that money to to buy my Christmas gifts and the other expenses for Christmas. However, I don't do that way anymore. I do use a Christmas budget, especially now. And another tip that I want to put in here is that if you do add up all your expenses and it's not the it's not an affordable amount for you and you can't really tweak it or you're wondering where you can cut back on costs and you can't do it, 
maybe Christmas is a good time for you to take up a side hustle. Maybe on the weekends you can offer to clean up a neighbor's backyard or maybe you can offer to babysit someone's kids and earn some extra money, especially with all the Christmas parties and whatnot that are going on. It might actually be a good time to earn some extra money with a side hustle so that you can be covered with Christmas so you're not feeling the sting that much. I really agree with that one, Blaze. It shouldn't just be about the spending side of your uh, own personal balance sheet. Also, the earning side of your balance sheet to really cover some of those additional costs. That's a great point. So, Blaze, what about going halvesies and presents? Oh, yeah. You can totally do that. That's a great idea for saving money. Going halves, going doing group gifts is a fantastic idea. Going halves with someone in gifts. Secret Santa, obviously, that's a fantastic idea. Anything where you can either go in with someone or you don't if you're not having to pull fork out the full cost of a gift i think that's also a great way to cut back on spending at christmas totally and i think it allows you to elevate the power of the gift that you can buy for the individual so i don't know if my mum and my sister's listening to this right now they probably don't but uh (laughs) me my sister and my dad have actually gone a third into something that i think mum will really love this particular christmas Um, i won't give it away just in case she does tune in but it allowed us to really pull our money together to buy something that she really, really wants but would have been too much for us individually to, to buy for her. So I think it's a fantastic idea. Dan, on the topic of family Christmas presents, before we get into step four, what is your most memorable Christmas unwrapping moment? Blaze, I don't know why this memory just comes to mind, but I can remember it very succinctly. And it was probably when I was about maybe four or five years old um, I remember uh, going to the shopping center one day and my mum had asked me, um, what does Santa want to give you for Christmas? And I remember I really, really wanted a super soaker. And <laughs> I was pointing to all the super soakers in the aisles and come around Christmas Day, of course, as a little child, uh, what everybody does is put the milk out, put the cookies out for Santa to come around. And I just remember that very, very uh, very well. But when I opened up the present, um, I ended up getting a super soaker. But awesome. in retrospect now, which was awesome, but I just remember what it was like sort of growing up. You know, I came from, you know, a fairly lower middle class uh, upbringing and my mum didn't get me the biggest super soaker in the world. She got me the cheapest one. And, and when I say the cheapest one, it wasn't even a brand called super soaker. It was just one of those little, you know, pebbly little $2.50 um, <laughs> super soaker guns. Yeah, but I just remembered it because I played for it for the whole year. I'm sure my mum was over the moon because she didn't have to buy me something super expensive. But I just remember how much joy that that, that provided me. It didn't cost my mum a lot of money at the time. I don't know why that came up, Blaze, but that's that's my most memorable gift. How about yours? My most memorable Christmas unwrapping is one year. I have two older brothers, and they're both. They we all look very very similar. Like we're very obviously a family. We all have very similar style. And yeah, my dad called me on Christmas Eve, asked me what size I was, classic dad, leaving it to the last minute. And then fast forward, Christmas Day, unwrapping, my eldest brother unwraps a, like a rip curl t-shirt or some sort of surf brand t-shirt. And it's in this cool, it's in a black color. And then my brother unwraps his gift from dad and it's the exact same shirt, but in tie dye. And then I unwrap my present. And I have the exact same shirt in the exact same size in this like gross <laughs> blue color. And I just like I was, I think I was maybe 23 when I received that. And my lovely dad, who I adore dearly, gave me a men's surf shirt 
that matched my two oldest brothers. And yeah, it was, I think I wore it once before re-gifting it on, but I didn't even get the tie-dye. I'm still furious I didn't get the tie-dye. And yeah, my brothers, I don't know if they still own theirs, but yeah, it was, we had to, you know, discuss who would be wearing what, because three of us wearing the same shirt on the same day, it would be too embarrassing. That's my most memorable <laughs> Christmas gift. <laughs> I'm sure it comes up every single Christmas as well, Blaze. <laughs> it does. All right, Dan, step four, Christmas budgeting. This one, pretty obvious. Track your spending and stick to your budget. So before you go to the shop, remember your budget limits. Write yourself a shopping list so you don't buy unnecessary items you don't need and also keep track of how much you've spent so you can move money around if you need to. If you save $30 on food and booze, maybe you can put that towards your travel or maybe you can put that towards someone else's gift or maybe you can save it. That's step four. Dan, step five, hit me. What is it? Well, boys, Christmas, big time, big part of our lives. Once it's all over, we've got to start thinking about the next year ahead. I think a topic that's really big is presents. What are some tips that we can really uh, absorb around saving money on presents, Blaze? All right. Okay. So buying presents. I use. Have you heard of the app Shopback? I think I've heard of something like that, Blaze. Probably some similar apps like Shopback around there. What does it do? So Shopback is, this is not a promo for Shopback, by the way. This is just an app that I use personally uh, and it's pretty popular. Um, it's an app that you can download on your phone and shop through. So you use the app to connect to other stores and it connects to you know big stores like the Iconic and Groupon and heaps and heaps of other stores. Um, and when you buy through the app, you get a percentage of your cash back. So you literally earn money back. There is a couple of terms and conditions, like you don't get the money for, I think it's 60 days or three months or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, you get it, you can earn a percentage back of your money. So if you're buying gifts through this back, through this app, in a couple months' time, you could be getting seeing small returns from your purchases. And also on when I'm on my browser, I use a the extension called Honey um, on Chrome. So this is one of those services that automatically applies discounts to your cart. So gone are the days where you have to Google search discount code for XYZ. Honey automatically searches the web when you get to the checkout and will automatically apply any discounts without you having to lift a finger. So that's really awesome. Dan, what's your tips for buying online to save on presents? Blaze, you just put a good point. I just remember signing up to another platform again. This is not a promo, but I think this is really cool now that we're seeing all this explosion of all these cashback apps. I don't even know how they work and how you get your money back and who pays for it, but it seems to be taking off like wildfire. I signed up to a platform called Cash Rewards, and I think Cash Rewards have a very similar type of process where you get some money back. Um, and what made me really excited about um, platforms like this is they're listing on the stock exchange recently. So I thought, wow, these companies seem to be really sort of taking off. And it just goes to show that there's, uh, there's so much rewards you pick up on everyday purchases and start earning some dollars back. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So I like that. I also think that um, comparison shopping during this period of time is, is really critical. Our big friends over at Google, not. Um, do a very, very good job of pointing to the people that can probably rank the highest on uh, on Google. And that may not necessarily be the most cheapest options. 
don't know about you, Blaze, but I often find every time I do a Google search, particularly when I'm doing a comparison shop, I really have to start trawling through all these different websites and I need to uncover that sometimes Google's suggestions don't give me the cheapest option. I have to burrow down and find the most cheapest deals. So I think the borrowing does pay off if you really want to save some additional dollars and find yourself some great bargains. So that's my tips for online shopping. Also, I just thought I had another thought. With online shopping, there's a lot of the uh, first-time customer discounts. So if you're buying something, if you sign up to the mailing list, yes, you have to pass over your data, but you can immediately unsubscribe once you get that $20 off or free shipping or 10% off or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, if you're a first-time customer, online shopping is a good option because so many brands are offering discounts for first-time customers these days. And, Dan, we almost forgot one of my favourite things for saving on presents is op shopping if you fancy a rummage hit hit the op shop because number one they're super cheap number two they're sustainable you're helping stuff stop going you're stopping stuff from going to landfill and three you can find some really hilarious and also awesome gifts for really good value in the op shop i totally agree blaze uh i've got an op shop near my house which i'm going to be rummaging like no tomorrow and those folks you probably, for the, for the folks listening to the podcast right now, they might be, might be familiar with this, but on a few episodes uh, ago, we touched on the concept of uh, this explosion in what we're calling re-commerce, where folks are deciding to buy secondhand goods as opposed to going buying things directly. And I just thought of another tip on the fly blazers. Yes, go to your op shop, but also consider buying uh, pre-loved goods at, say, platforms like Depop and Facebook Marketplace and Gumtree because that's when you can really find some bargains and not have to pay through the nose on some of these new consumer goods. So that's an excellent point. Dan, do you have any other Christmas tips to wrap up the Christmas budget combo? I do, Blaze. I'm going to take a little bit more of a serious note now, just for a little bit. It's um, the Christmas period lends itself to a lot of overspending and there is no secret that the banks are just waiting for you in January and you turn on you after you watch the um, uh, cricket and you're sitting at home on your couch uh, in either January the 1st or January the 2nd, you're going to see the explosion of balance transfer offers from banks offering you the ability to consolidate your debt into one card. Please note, some of these offers, they might be good, but look at the T's and C's. Sometimes the offer might be attractive and the interest-free window might save you a bit of money, but uh, you can stop that process of thinking about a balance transfer offer or spending money on a credit card by not having to get yourself into that position in the first place. So going back to the top of the episode, really plan out all your spending for the month of December and make sure you don't go over the budget you've allocated to yourself. Along the theme of debt, also, this is the biggest time that people are taking out credit to fund Christmas. And while the traditional means of accessing credit like a credit card are available, you now have Afterpay, all these new fintechs that are emerging that are allowing you to defer payments, please try and avoid any of that type of credit products. And the worst one, of course, is any type of uh, high-interest credit product like a payday loan that may get you into a position where you've got to pay that off over the course of the next uh, you know, two or three months, and those interest expenses are astronomical. So wherever you can, avoid debt. If you can have a debt-free December, you are doing incredibly well. And that's where 
a lot of people tend to find themselves a little unstuck. Think twice before you make any purchase. And remember, if you've got a budget written down, you're already ahead of the game by not falling into some of those cognitive traps where you're going mm. to potentially overspend. So that's that's my tips for Chrissy this year, Blaze. Very good point on having on aiming to remain debt free in December. And I think in a couple of episodes' time we'll have a guest to talk about common debt traps. Um Dan, my tips for Christmas is, like we discussed, set a spending limit on all your gifts. My second tip would be reduce, reuse and recycle Christmas decorations. So Christmas is about taking time off and spending time with family and loved ones and, you know, relaxing if you can, unless you're one of our frontline workers who kindly go to work and work through the through the festive season and we really appreciate that. But, yeah, it, it's you don't have to have the newest and latest and greatest thing and you don't have to use brand new Christmas decorations every year you know reduce your spend reduce your waste and recycle things where you can and I've got two more points and they sort of tie in together number three would be practice gratitude be happy with what you've got you know just try and see try and be grateful and happy with everything that you do have in your life and 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 be happy with that and something that ties in with that is my fourth point which would be Stay off social media. You'll be less likely to compare yourself to other people, what they're doing, what gifts they're giving, what they're receiving. If they're having a Christmas holiday, if they're working, whatever it is, you'll be less likely to compare yourself. You won't feel the pressure and to to live up to that, I don't know, societal hype or whatever it is to spend. And also if you're staying on social media, uh, you'll likely re- see less advertising and then you won't fall prey to as many marketing campaigns. So also you'll feel better in your mind about it and better in your bank balance because you won't be tempted by all these crazy ads of all these insane gifts that come out at this time of year. So, yeah, those would be my tips. And, yeah, remember that Christmas, if you celebrate Christmas or not, I know we've said Christmas a lot, but for the festive season or for this time of year, just remember to enjoy the joyous time of year and, yeah, it's a time to to spread joy and love and and not to get yourself into debt like you say, Dan. Absolutely, Blaze. And before I forget, I just thought of one last tip. Hit me. If you, could, if you really want something and, if, and if, if you need it brand new for whatever reason, don't buy it before Christmas, right? Oh, buy yes. in the Boxing Day sort of frenzy and don't buy it on day one. One, my mum, she's a very, very serial, um, I call her a discount diva. Uh, she she loves going for a great shop and getting a great discount. And the thing that I've learned from her and her journey is that she doesn't do the day one or day two of the post-boxing day sales. She waits until day three and day four and day five, and that's when the retailers start getting really desperate to start moving mm. the stocks and you start getting the 60 to 70% discount. So don't fear. The shops are always going to have the things that you want but you could be getting a bigger discount if you just wait a little bit longer and don't follow everybody putting their helmets and their knee pads and their elbow pads on to break <laughs> through that Boxing Day craziness. Dan, for Christmas, this is a great idea. You've just sparked an idea. For Christmas, IOU presents. Just wrap up a bunch of empty boxes and then write, you know, IOU, PlayStation, IOU, pyjamas, whatever it is that you plan on getting in the Boxing Day sales. So you still have something to unwrap on the day and then a couple of days later you can deliver the gift at a much, much cheaper price. Why have we not been doing this all along? I know. I love it, Blaze. Great tip. <laughs> 
Well, that's all for us on the Christmas budget. Next week, we'll be discussing the 60% solution back to our regular budget breakdown. Uh, but yeah, happy, happy spending and happy saving this Christmas season. Thank you for joining us for another episode, well, our very first episode of We Talk Sense. Tune in next week to learn more about the four common debt traps and more money chat. We'll see you next time. See ya.